Hello and welcome to the First Baptist Church of LaGrange. What an honor it is to have you listening to our church broadcast today. We hope that as you listen along, following in your Bible, that you experience the grace and presence of Christ just as strongly as we do every Sunday in our worship service. May God truly bless you as you listen. Well, comedian Yaakov Smirnov says that when he first came to the United States from Russia, that he wasn't prepared for the incredible variety of instant products available in American grocery stores. He says, on my first shopping trip, I saw powdered milk. You just add water and you get milk. Then I saw powdered orange juice. You just add water and you get orange juice. And then he said, I saw baby powder. And I thought, what a country. (laughs) When you're thinking about instant products, sometimes people like to think that when they come to Jesus, everything will change immediately. Now, there is an instant change on the inside when we're brought from death to life we have to realize that we're still caught in these sinful bodies and it will take the continual work of transformation, which we call, according to the Bible, we call the work of sanctification. It's going to take a lot of that work. You see, sanctification is really the journey that we're all on called discipleship. It's said differently, it's continually being changed or transformed, or better, even conformed to the image of Christ. Some have said it's the constant process of becoming holy and set apart unto God. What you need to know is is that sanctification or this work doesn't naturally happen just with time. In other words, if I just I become a follower of Christ and I just give it enough time, I'm going to look like Christ. That's not what this is. It requires work. It requires a lot of work, actually. So when we talk about this work of sanctification, the question arises, who does the work then? Do I do the work or does God do the work? Well, the answer to that question is yes. Simply put, we work out what God's working in. We get to work out what God's working in. So how is it that we go about this process of doing this work? What do we do and what does God do? That's where we're at in the book of Philippians as we continue preaching and teaching through the book of Philippians. If we remember, it is the joyous advancement of the gospel of Jesus. So today, Paul brings us back in in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, and he talks about as a result of this high hymn of Christ that we covered many weeks ago, that we are to be like Christ. So what is this and how is this? Well, it's called sanctification. How do we do it? So if you would rise to your feet as we read God's holy inspired word together, we're going to learn about the work of sanctification. So I'm in the book of Philippians, and I'm going to be in verse 12. It should be on the screen behind me. So Paul says, So then, my beloved, 
just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. May God bless his word. You may be seated. So I don't know if you kind of paid attention there, but in the text, Paul begins to deal with this tension between God's part and our part in this process of becoming like Jesus we call sanctification. Paul doesn't worry about trying to harmonize the two. It's kind of like with salvation. Is it really the sovereignty of God or do humans have responsibility? And of course, I believe the Bible teaches yes. Paul doesn't worry about these paradoxes. He just simply puts it out there. And he kind of says this dual emphasis is not only found here. Paul says, hey, listen, I wrote you another book, 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 15.10, the Bible says this. By the grace of God, God's part, I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove vain. But then he goes on to say, but I labored, that's his part, even more than all of them. Yet not I, God's part, but the grace of God within me. Everything in life requires energy. Did you know that? It requires energy, right? It takes energy to to, to walk. It takes energy to work. It takes energy to think. It takes energy to eat. It definitely takes energy to obey and serve God. The point of this present verse is that it takes energy or it takes work to grow as a Christian. Now, the main verb here is to work out our salvation, and that specifically calls for a constant energy required to finish a task. So Paul tells us two principles that we have to understand about this work of sanctification. Now I'm going to promise you these are super simple because they're super simple here. The first one is this. We work out our sanctification. We work out our sanctification. And Paul teaches us about this work when he tells us, is it really, first of all, the reason is to be like Christ. The reason is to be like Christ. He says there, look in verse 12. He says, so then. What's the so then there for? What is, what is he talking about, so then? Well, he goes back talking about Jesus Christ. If you remember, as we looked at beginning like verse 5 of Philippians chapter 2, just turn your Bible back a, a few verses. Have this attitude in yourselves, which is in Christ, although he existed in the form of God, did not require equality with God, a thing to be grasped. But Christ emptied himself, and he takes the form of a bondservant, and he becomes like man, and then he humbles himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, and then God exalts him. In other words, this humility and this desire to please the Father, even to the point of death, is what Paul says we're after. We're supposed to be like Jesus. That's the whole point of sanctification. So we have to remember the reason I put in the work is because the work is worth it, because the work makes me like Christ. So then he also says that you have to remember that we are cherished. You have to remember that we are cherished. Not only the remi- that we are going to look like Christ, 
but we are cherished because he says, so then my beloved. And those words tell us that Paul loved the Philippian church. He speaks of that often and often. What you need to know is, is that he reminds them that, look, in this work of sanctification, you are going to fail over and over and over again. How many of you have found that to be true? Do I have anybody in here who would say, you know what, the work of sanctification is hard work and I fail at it a whole lot. Anybody there? Amen. Well, he tells you, listen to me, your identity in Christ as the beloved is different than what you may or may not do. You are the beloved and the Lord wants you to know that in the midst of your weaknesses, in the midst of your shortcomings, we can have the same grace that the apostles had. But we don't serve a really a hard, merciless deity. We serve a merciful, forgiving, gracious Lord who's always willing to restore us to himself when we come. Why? Not because of what we've done, but because of who we are. We are the beloved. Amen. You know what? I want you to turn to somebody in the room and just tell them, hey, you're the beloved. Just do it right now just for kicks and giggles. But can I remind you, I'm going to say it over and over. I'm going to repeat it. We are not working out our sanctification to be loved by God. We are working out our sanctification because we are loved by God. It's not to be loved. It's because we're loved. In other words, who I am determines what I do. We are the beloved, so therefore I will act like the beloved. If I'm not acting like the beloved, it's because I've forgotten my identity. Identity precedes act. That's why when you're struggling with your sanctification, you can't beat yourself up for what you've done. That's not the starting place. Go back to love. God loves you and you can love him. And that will change what you do. But see, then he says the next thing is the responsibility is to be committed. The reason is to be like Christ, right? There's a reminder that we're the beloved, but the responsibility is that we're to be committed. He says there in verse 12, he says, just as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. The need for committed obedience to the Lord is primary in sanctification. Now, obeyed is a compound word. It comes from these two Greek words that make up our word acoustics. It has this meaning of placing oneself under what has been heard and therefore submitting and obeying. Now, what he's really kind of getting at is this. A believer, it's obvious that a believer must listen to God's word if he's to be obedient to it. So really, this is a call out to be more into the word of God. Remember, we talked about the first of the year to read through the word of God, but let the word of God read through you, right? We, we can't be holy or sanctified apart from the word of God. Jesus said in John 17, 17, as he prayed for us, he said, sanctify them in the truth because your word is truth. If I'm going to work out my salvation, listen to me, friends, I have to be more into God's word. And here's the sad reality that many of us don't really like, but I, I'm, I'm the, I guess I'm the bad news bearer. It takes work to study the Word of God. It just don't come easy. So five or ten minutes in the Word of God aren't going to cut it if we want to look like Jesus, friends. I'm telling you, it's going to take work. It's, we have to be committed. So how is your Bible reading going? 
Let me tell you something else. I live by this motto, you can't grow yourself by yourself. So how are you in a growth group? And not are you just in a growth group, but are you growing in that growth group? Are you committed to that group? Listen, folks, you're not going to do this on your own. God didn't design it that way. So get involved in a, in a growth group. If you don't know what I'm even talking about, see Pastor Justin, the guy who prayed for our offering when he came up here. That's Pastor Justin. See him. He'll be glad to plug you into a growth group. But listen, do you need help with all this? Do you need help knowing how to study or how to pray or to memorize Scripture? Man, that's what we're here for. We would love to help you. Amen. This, this, this is my passion. I would be glad to help you. We would rejoice to be able to help you. But notice the order. Notice the order. That I can only be committed if I'm connected. You see, I have to understand that I am what? I'm connected to the Lord. That makes me committed to him. It's that I'm loved first and then I can what? Obey. And that's the way it is around here. If you're not like, connected here, you're probably not going to be committed here. So we want you to be connected. And that's why we push growth groups. That's why we push these kind of things. If I, re if, if I receive the love of God for me, then I can love him in return. And my obedience to the Lord is empowered by my love. It's kind of a, a part of something we're going to be sharing with you in a couple of weeks about our mission here. We're going to be changing what we think the mission is here. And it's going to be like this. It's when I embrace great commandment love that I am fueled then to what? Do great commission living. If I embrace great commandment love, in other words, I'm loved by God and he loves me. When I embrace that, that fuels me to live out the great commission. And that's what we have to understand. But Paul says, not only in my presence only, but more in my absence. And we all have this personal responsibility to obey the Lord no matter who's looking. These people had a close relationship with the apostle Paul. He had taught them great things. They maybe became dependent upon him. And I'm trying to tell you, we can't just be dependent upon me. If the only time that you're getting into this, if the only time you're becoming sanctified is on Sunday mornings, praise God for that, but it's not enough. You have got to be after this daily, daily. But Paul is in prison as he's writing this, and they may be feeling that. So he's like, hey, listen, keep doing what you've been doing. But listen, do it even more now that I'm gone. Conduct yourselves, Paul says in 127, in context, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear that you are striding, standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. In other words, there's never a time when the true believer is not responsible to be obedient to the Lord. So we have to understand that. And so we get down to all this. And then here's really where Paul begins to move into the meat. And that is simply this. He says, the reality is, is that there are consequences. So the reasons we grow like Christ, there's a reminder that, that we're the beloved, right? And then there's this responsibility to be committed. But, but the reality is, is that there are consequences, good and bad. Because he says there, he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, God is indeed loving, merciful, and forgiving. But God also holds us accountable for disobedience. Therefore, we ought to live in a constant state before God with fear and trembling. Fear, fear, that word translates phobos. That's where we get our words phobias from. 
It stands for fright or terror, but also this reverential awe. Trembling is the word traumas. It's, it's where we get our word tremor from when we're shaking or the earth is shaking. So both of these, this fear, this reverential awe, this fright of God, this shaking before him are proper responses to my own spiritual weakness and the powers of temptation. An important Old Testament truth that we've forgotten in America, I promise you what's happening in America is tied directly to this Old Testament phrase, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We've simply forgotten to fear God. Most of us don't even blush around him anymore, much less fear him. The fear of God, this is not the fear if I'm a believer. If I'm an unbeliever and have never been saved, never been given my life to Jesus, I had better be afraid because it is a fearful thing, a terrible thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. Yes, it is. But for the believer... The fear of being doomed to eternal torment has gone. This is not this hopeless dread of judgment that leads to despair. It's rever this reverential fear, this holy concern to give God the honor he deserves and also to avoid the displeasure of his displeasure. Such fear then protects me against temptation and sin and gives motivation for me to obey him. I promise you, if I rightly have a fear of God, I will sin less and less. This fear involves, I distrust myself. I, I, my conscience is sensitive. I'm on guard against temptation. I oppose pride. I'm, I'm constantly being aware of my, my own deceitfulness of my heart. It's this dread that, that says, I will avoid anything that would offend my God. I should have this dread of sin and yearning for what's right before God. And as I, as I have this godly fear, it protects me. Watch, listen to me. If I have a right fear of God, it will also protect me from wrongly influencing other people. Because I understand God will hold me accountable for how I've led them. And I won't compromise on things and I won't give up my testimony to a lost and unbelieving world. To have such godly fear and trembling involves more than merely acknowledging my sinfulness and my weakness. It's this deep reverential fear. Watch, it springs from adoration of love. What I'm trying to tell you is the fear of hurting the heart of God motivates me to stay clear from sin because this is about relationship first. Listen to me, listen to me. What I'm talking about is the fear of love. You see, the fear of love is not the fear that I'm going to be punished. It's the fear that I might wound the other person. And when I live rightly in light of who God is, I understand that he is a person whom I can offend. I can grieve the Holy Spirit of God. So therefore, I have a reverential fear that my sin might hurt my God. And that changes it for me. There's a fear that I willingly accept the Lord's discipline, knowing that he disciplines me for my good. There's consequences when I, when I don't get this right. This fear causes me to pray, God, please help me avoid sin. I pray, Matthew 6, don't lead me into temptation, but deliver me from evil. And I need more of the fear of God in my life. But Paul says, work out. New you, new year, new year, new you. Work out, work out, work out, right? Work out, that's the command, and it has this continual emphasis 
It's the idea of keep working out to the completion of the ultimate fulfillment. The words there, your, work out your salvation. It really means your own. In other words, he's saying this is a command for believers to make a continuing, sustained effort to work out to its ultimate completion their salvation. And let me help you understand what this really means. Because I did some word study this week and I kind of tracked this down. And here's where I found that most in the ancient Greek texts, outside of what the Bible says, how this was used and how it also was used in that day. And here's what I've kind of come to find. That this verb has the meaning of what happens when these owners of these mines, these mines, these copper mines, these gold mines, these, these kind of mines that were in these hills, people who own them should work them out to get the most value from them. So when Paul says, work out your salvation, he's saying, you've got a mine filled chock full of awesomeness, and it's your job to get in there and get everything out of it that you can. That's what he's saying. Work this thing out. Work it out because there's, there's gold in them dark hills. Get the full benefits of your salvation. Now, you have to understand, Paul is not writing to people who are unbelievers. So he's not saying, hey, you got to work for your salvation. He's saying, look, you already have your salvation. Now get what you can out of it. It's not work for your salvation. It's work out your salvation. That pertains to my daily conduct of faithful, obedient living. Believers are to cleanse themselves, as 2 Corinthians says, from all defilement of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Setting my mind, as Colossians says, on the things above, not on the things of earth, because they have died to sin and my life is now hidden with Christ in God. As Romans says, just as I once presented my members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, now I present my members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. Living in a manner of which, a worthy manner of which I've been called. If you remember, he tells Timothy, he says, Hey, Timothy, flee these evil things, you man of God. And pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight, Timothy. Take hold of the eternal life for which you were called and made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In other words, Timothy, work on and work it out, baby. We can't give up, friends. We have to continue to work on this thing. Remember, the Bible says, don't... Grow weary in doing good, for in the proper time you will reap a harvest. Friends, can I just challenge you today as we begin this new year that you are responsible to work out your salvation. You know, here in this part of Texas, one of the things that I've learned about our culture is simply this. You guys have what I hold to is a great, great work ethic. You work really hard and long days. From the time the sun gets up in the morning to the time it goes to bed at night, you're up there working on your ranches and doing all the things that you can. You are incredibly hardworking people because you want to provide and because you want to give out the, hey, man, I'm a hard worker. And, and you know all the benefits of life. Here's what I'm asking you. Here's what I'm asking you. What's your work ethic like spiritually? We've got to have a spiritual work ethic, folks, that says I'm going to work harder and longer than anybody else. Because I want to look like Jesus.
That's the whole goal. It's not because I can get praise and, and accolades. It's because I want to look like Jesus. So let me ask you, how's your workout going? Can I, can I just, the news flash, you're not going to look like Jesus binge watching Netflix. And you're like, I just don't, I just can't get motivated to get into the Bible. I'm telling you, it's not easy. It's work. And we're going to work by the sweat of our brow, by the way, this side of earth. It's supposed to hurt. It's supposed to be bad. It's supposed to cost you something. But we are to work out our salvation. Now the Bible says, here's the second truth. You thought that first one was easy. What's this one? God works in our sanctification. Not only do we work out our sanctification, but God works in our sanctification. While the believer is working this out, God is working it in. In other words, watch this. If, if the fulfillment of verse 12 couldn't happen without verse 13. Because see, I'm not doing this on my own. I mean, I've got a great coach. I, matter of fact, I got somebody who's living inside of me. It'd be awesome if we all had a trainer who lived inside of us, right? I'm gonna go to the gym, do a couple of workouts, and I mean, you got this trainer who's like, go, go, go. But wouldn't it be cool if the trainer jumped inside of you and worked out for you? <laughs> That's what we have as believers. I mean, this is really true. This is so cool. Matter of fact, we need to look at it. Jesus stressed this truth in the upper room discourse when he said in John 15, verses four and five, he said, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So how does this all happen? Well, we begin to look, first of all, to the person of God. Look to the person of God. Because verse 12 goes on. It says what it says, but verse 13 starts, for it is God who is at work in you. The sanctification process where I begin to say, hey, look, I can't do this, so I have to look to God. It's to him. It's to him and his will and his work. The Bible does not try to prove that God exists. It just assumes that he does. And in both Testaments, God has spoken in these anthropomorphic or human-like terms. The Bible describes God as having eyes and seeing, having ears and hearing, having feet and walking, loving and hating, weeping and laughing, condemning and forgiving. He thinks, feels, acts, and speaks all the elements of personhood. But as a person, he has a personal concern for his children. And that personal concern is his work in you to make him look like, to make us look like Jesus. God has this unimaginable love for fallen, sinful mankind, which have rebelled against him. We've turned on him. God says that he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That what? The world might be saved through him. He's not willing that any would perish, but all would turn to him. You see, those who belong to God, the scripture says he's even got a greater love and closest personal relationships. If you remember, Adam and Eve used to walk and talk with God. In the Old Testament, Moses and some of the saints, it describes them as the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, just as a man speaks to his friend. So this all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present creator and sustainer of the universe loves his children with everlasting love and kindness. And God will, will promise to forgive us and cleanse us and empower us for service. So here's what I'm trying to tell you. If, if you and I are wanting to figure out how to do this, as we look to God. 
you can't do this on your own. You're going to work, but you've just got to look to the person of God. But then he says this, lean on the power of God. Lean on the power of God. Verse 13 picks up, for it is God who is at work in you. Above all, it's God who is at work in the lives of his children. He calls us to obey. Then through his sovereign power, he empowers us to obey. He calls me to his service, and then he empowers me to serve. He calls me to holiness, and then he empowers me to holiness. This word here, work, is different than the word above for work, out. This is the word energeo. It's the word we get energy from. In other words, God is the source of our energy while we're working. As we seek to provide a, a work in our sanctification, he's the one who provides the power just as no one can be justified, that means to be made right with God through the works of the flesh, no one can be sanctified or look like Jesus through the works of the flesh. Paul says in Romans 7, nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh for the willing and present in me, but the doing of the good is not. In other words, there's nothing going on in me that's good that has to be the work of God in me. We've already seen 1 Corinthians 15, by the grace of God, I am what I am. But his grace is not proven vain, but I labored more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God in me. Now, Paul talks about this committed obedience, yes. But then we've got God who's committed to help us obey. 2 Corinthians 3, 5 says it this way. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. See, the wonder of it all is that God is the one who's at work in me. Colossians 1.29, Paul says, I labor, striving according to the power which mightily works in me. That's why, listen to me, the work of sanctification continues this side of heaven. You want to see how this kind of works out and, and maybe scripturally thinking. There was this revival under King Hezekiah. This mighty spiritual work began with the restoration of the temple. And Hezekiah charged the Levites, the guys who were in charge of the temple, he says this in 2 Chronicles, he says, Consecrate yourself now and consecrate the house of the Lord, the God of your fathers, and carry the uncleanness out from the holy place. My sons, do not be negligent now, for the Lord has chosen you to stand before him, to minister to him, and to be his ministers, and to burn incense. Then the Bible tells us the next day, King Hezekiah arose early and assembled the princes of the city and went up to the house of the Lord. Later, he calls the whole city together and everyone rejoiced over what God had prepared for the people. Continuing his pursuit of spiritual revival, the Bible says that Hezekiah sent to Israel and Judah and wrote letters also to Ephraim and Manasseh that they should come to the house of the Lord Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover of the Lord God. So this decree was circulated throughout the country, calling people to this long-neglected Passover feast. And the edict included both a warning and a promise. And it says this, he says, don't stiffen your neck like your father's, but yield to the Lord and enter a sanctuary which he has consecrated forever and serve the Lord your God that his burning anger may turn away from you. For if you return to the Lord, your brothers and your sons will find compassion before those who led them captive and will return to this land. For the Lord your God is gracious and compassionate and will not turn his face away from you if you return to him. Now watch, here's what we're going to put on the screen. You have to see. God says, hey, do this, and they do this. Well, who, who did it? 
God or them? Watch this. Here it is. It'll come up. Verse 12. 2 Chronicles 30, verse 12. It says, The hand of God was also on Judah to give them one heart to do what the king and princes commanded by the word of the Lord. You see, it's God who gives us the heart to obey. Not only does he command us to obey, but he gives us the heart to obey. God graciously fills us with the power to obey his commands. Here's the point. Listen to me very carefully because I'm going to say something that that you might not get if you're not listening carefully. Listen, there's, there's a key distinction I'm trying to tell you. The point of sanctification is this. You and I aren't supposed to go out and try to live like Jesus. You and I are to go out and let Jesus live through us. Do you hear the difference? I am not just going to go out and say, well, I'm going to be better and I'm going to try to live like Jesus. That is so frustrating. That's you. You can't do that. But if you will go out and let Jesus live through you, you will get the point of God working in your salvation. It's him, him through his power of his Holy Spirit speaking and leading and guiding, and he just pushes you and you just say yes. That's the difference, friends. But not only do we look to the person of God and lean on the power of God, thirdly, we live in the presence of God. Live in the presence of God there in verse 13. He says, for it's God who is at work in you. John 17, Jesus says something as he's praying this prayer. He says that I may be in them and you in me. John 14, the Bible says that he abides with you, talking about the Holy Spirit, and that the Holy Spirit will be in you. You see, God is working in us. And I think we have to ask this question. We have to always say, man, am I really living in the presence of God? Because the presence of God is living in me. I can be living in the presence of God. Just have this constant awareness that I'm in the presence of God and that the presence of God is in me quickly. Not only do we live in the presence of our God, but we also have to learn the process of God. That's what he says there. Look back in verse 13. Both to will and to work. Did you see that? The will to do right before God must precede any effective work that is to be done for God. So I have to want what God wants so God can give me what I want. To will refers to thoughtful, purposeful choice. It's what the psalmist had in mind when he says, hey, God, turn my heart to your testimonies. So how does God do this? In other words, how is it that God begins to, to will in me to do his stuff and to work in me? How does that begin to happen? Well, we say it like this. The first thing is this, he gives me a holy discontent. In other words, I begin to realize that I'm falling short of what God asked me to, that the way I'm living isn't the way God wants me to, that, that I'm sinning or I'm not choosing to do what I'm supposed to. And I begin to get this hatred for that. And I don't like sin and I don't like where I'm at. I get this holy discontent. And when I get holy discontent, God gives me a holy aspiration. And then I define myself as that he instills in me this genuine hatred of sin, but then he gives me this genuine desire for righteousness. I begin to want to become conformed to the image of Christ. So in other words, a godly will produces godly work. Now the will or the work that he commands of us is what God is after. To work means being energized and active. So we see this in Hebrews, listen to me. 
Now the God of peace who brought you up from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, may he equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus. Do you see it? You see, we're not only saved by grace, but we're also sanctified by grace and that we're his workmanship to do these good works that he's already prepared for us to do. And then he prepares them and then he what empowers you to do them. So that's the process. If I really want what God wants, I go before him. He gives me holy discontent and in holy aspiration. He tells me what to do and then he empowers me to do it. That's the process. But then I end with this, love the pleasure of God. Not only do you learn the process, but love the pleasure of God because verse 13 says it's for his good pleasure. Good pleasure, translate that which expresses great enjoyment and satisfaction. Do you understand that in Luke 12, 32, this is something that, that just, just baffles me. Jesus says, don't be afraid, little, fo- little flock, for your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. God has gladly chosen to give us the kingdom. And here's the cool thing. When I'm living in that kingdom and I'm becoming more and more like Christ, that pleases my father. So he's going to continue to give me the things to help me please him. This is the craziest thing about it. God's living for his pleasure. So therefore, it, it makes the most sense that when my heart wants he, what he wants, he's going to give me more of that because he gets more pleasure watching me enjoy what he's giving me. It's just the craziest thing ever. Even when we rebel against him, Isaiah 55 says this, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return to the Lord, and he will have compassion on him. And what? To our God, for he will abundantly pardon Do you know the believer's supreme purpose is to love, obey, and worship, and glorify God? And therefore, when we do that, that brings him pleasure. But watch this. If I'm going to really please God, I have to be totally, totally dependent upon God's pleasure. God will work in me so that he can what? Work through me. Moses, 40 years, was working for God. Proceeded 40 years of God working in Moses. I'm here to, as I tell you, man, it takes sometimes it's going to take 40 years. It takes 40 years for God to work out of me what he's working in me. Can you be patient with the process? But can you be patient with others who are in the process too? See, I think that's one of the things we have to change about First Baptist Church and other churches, man, is we're expecting people to look like Jesus overnight. So we have to be a whole lot more patient when people fall and stumble and do what they do because God's not done with them yet. He's not done with me yet. So we work out our sanctification, but God's working in our sanctification. We're working out what God's working in. Nate, if you and... Whomever else is going to come, man, if you would just come. I kind of remember this. I was kind of reading some stuff this week, and I read about this old story, man. I'd kind of forgotten about this, and if I told this to you before, you would all forgive me. <laughs> reading about it in New Mexico one day, a man saw another man 
pumping what looked like a well. So this, this dude from out here was seeing another dude doing this. The man was pumping like, like man, he was going strong. And it seemed like he never missed a beat. He just kept it up. So he watched him for a really long time. Then he began to get interested. How come this man never slows down? And so he began to walk closer and closer. And then when he got upon it, he could see that this was really an artesian well. An artesian well doesn't require pumping. It has natural pressure. It kind of pumps itself. But what this man thought was another man was really just a, a wood cutout of somebody over top of that well. And so from the distance, it looked like a man, but when he got up, it was just a wooden cutout of a man. And see, really, the man thought he saw somebody pumping the well, but here's the truth. The man wasn't pumping the well. The well was pumping the man. And that's the only way I can try to explain to you what this is going on. It may, may look like you're doing the work, but God's really the one doing the work in you. So my question is, man, do you have your hand on the well? I mean, are you at this thing? You got to work at this. So, man, we went through, you know, a couple of weeks ago, man, we talked about what are some of the goals that we have, you know, for the new year. Was one of your goals, man, being more like Jesus? What is your intentional plan to grow spiritually this year? Do you have a plan? Is it like memorizing scripture? Is it witnessing to so many people a week? Is it spending more time in prayer? What, are, what is your plan to intentionally grow? You have to have a plan, then you got to work the plan. What's your work ethic like when it comes to the things of sanctification? I'm just going to help you folks. It's going to require giving up video games. It'll require giving up subscriptions to all kinds of these binge-worthy products. It's going to talk, talk about taking less time on Facebook. Because you, you are a steward of your time. And if you want to look like Jesus, you're going to have to sacrifice somewhere. And I'm not telling you all those things are bad, no. But I'm telling you, those become cheap replacements for looking like Jesus. That's, that's all I'm trying to tell you. I'm not trying to you it's good or bad or how much time. I'm just saying we tend to not want to work, so we choose to zone out. And I'm trying to help you. So this year, the one workout we need the most is the one that leads to sanctification. So as I begin to move into this time of inviting you to what God is going to do and as they begin playing, can I just, just help you? I just got to say this to you one more time, folks. Can I just share my pastor's heart with you today? We have some awesome children's and youth ministries here that I feel just aren't being taken advantage of. And it absolutely breaks my heart. Now, do I say that to guilt you, manipulate you? You know your pastor would never try to do that. I believe love is a greater motivator. So a lot of people won't bring their kids to Sunday mornings because your kids need to be working this out too and they don't really know how so we disciple them to do that. So a lot of us won't bring our kids to Sunday mornings because you don't really have anything for you. Well, we do. 
But then the last time I checked, when I go out and look at the sports stuff, I see parents sitting in their cars for two hours waiting for their kids at a practice, but yet they can't come to church and wait for 45 minutes while their kid is. You see what I'm saying? And there's just such, I don't know, and I just have to speak to you, church, because, and we plan and do a lot, and I'm trying to tell you, your kid's sanctification is important. And if you're not doing nightly and daily and stuff devotions to grow your kids, man, at least take advantage of what we have. We're trying to offer that. And Sarah and Seth work hard at providing stuff for your children. I'm just asking you, can you commit to helping your kids grow? Would you just say, hey man, that's a part of my sanctification. Because we've got to, we've got to, we got to get back to something, man, growing here where we're kids and people are taking advantage of what we're trying to do. And stop letting all the excuses that we use keep kids from coming. And I know we've got lives to live, man. And I know some of us are like, man, I'm just so busy with work. And can I tell you your job? God's giving you your job to maybe provide for your needs, but it's really secondary. To, he's giving you that job to be a witness to impact the kingdom. So if your job's keeping you from growing in Jesus, you might want to get a new job. I mean, I'm just trying to help you. I'm just trying to be practical. Because what good is it that you are able to retire, but you look less like Jesus at 70 than you did when you were 30? What good is that? You hear what I'm saying? I really, I'm not trying to step on toes, friends. I'm just trying to say we have to deeply think about these things. Because Jesus saved us so that we can look more like him and bring God glory. We need to work this thing out, right? We need to work on this. So this section was written in all plurals, believe it or not. In other words, he's not just talking to you, and he's not just talking to you, he's talking to all of us. That means me too. So I have a spiritual plan this year. wonder would you join me and let's go together let's work out what God's working in so right now I wonder if you just kind of stay in your feet I'm just going to call us to a time of singing and prayer you know today you may be here within the sound of my voice or maybe you're on Facebook live right now or maybe you're going to be hearing me maybe you're at the subway Maybe you're hearing my voice and you're like, hey man, is he, is he talking to me? Yeah, I'm talking to you. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, if you never really trusted that you need his forgiveness, in other words, that you and I have chosen to go our way, we call that sin, we've disobeyed God, we've kind of went against his will and his word and we're separated from him. We'll be eternally separated from him in a place called hell and Friends, that's just as real as heaven is. God doesn't want you there. That's why he sent Jesus to die, to pay the wages of sin, which is death. And Jesus heals the separation and heals and pays the payment because he loves us so deeply. If you've never made that decision to just trust Jesus, that he died for you, that he was buried and raised for you, today is a great day to do that. So maybe that's the first thing you need to do 
in this time of invitations, maybe just come to, to Christ. And so I'm going to pray a prayer. And then after I do that, we're going to be in singing. And, and if you want to receive Christ or you want to pray a prayer like that from your heart, something like we do that, but then come let us know. Or maybe you're here saying, hey, pastor, would you pray with me? Maybe there's some others down here. You say, hey, man, I've got an appointment next week. And I'd love for you to pray for me about that. Or, hey, you know what, man, we're scared because, man, we found out that my cousin has COVID or whatever it is. We're here to pray with you. There'll be people here to pray with you, to connect with you. But maybe you just need to publicly, before God, just say, Jesus, I've been lazy. I need to get back to work. I don't really know, but I'm going to pray. You're going to lead us as we sing. We'll let God do what he does. Let's pray together. Father, I love your heart. Your heart is so for us. You want our best. I pray through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would speak to us. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.